This episode is sponsored by Plum Deluxe. Love trying new teas? Want to make every day feel special? Treat yourself to a Plum Deluxe Tea of the Month subscription. For only $10 a month, you'll receive a hand-blended, all-organic loose-leaf tea, thoughtfully chosen for the season. Tea Club members also enjoy special benefits like free shipping and access to a supportive community. Tea also makes a fantastic gift. Visit plumdeluxe.com tea to join and get one month free. Just enter Wall She Naps newsletter in the How Did You Hear About Us box when you join and your credit will be applied after your sign up is processed. Thank you so much, Plum Deluxe. And now here's the show. episode 94 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today we're talking about owning a quilt shop with my guest Heather Gibbons. We're recording this episode in Savannah, Georgia at QuiltCon 2017. The show is so inspiring and I'm excited to have the opportunity to sit down with an equally inspiring guest to talk <laughs> more about this industry. Heather Gibbons is a creative force. She's a fabric store owner, fabric designer, quilt designer, national instructor, artist, and art educator. Heather creates community wherever she goes. Her shop, Crimson Tate in Indianapolis, was born out of an obsession with creating non-traditional quilts from contemporary, modern, and repurposed fabrics. Heather designs for Wyndham Fabrics. She works on new pattern designs, giggles contagiously, and teaches (laughs) sewing with her energetic friends and staff among the hustle and bustle of downtown Indianapolis. Heather Gibbons, welcome. That is so true. Thank you so much. <laughs> so how are you enjoying QuiltCon so far? Um, it's been amazing. Like, there is such good um, juju out there. So everyone's so happy, and it's like a family reunion. It's it pretty, is like a family reunion. It's, it's pretty amazing. Well, a family that you love. Yeah. Right? <laughs> family you choose. Yes, it's really good. It's been yeah. awesome, yeah. I'm so glad. Um, so you own Crimson Tate which is a quilt shop that specializes in modern fabrics and is in downtown Indianapolis, as we talked about. And I think at first the shop wasn't necessarily gonna be a quilt shop, is that right? So in the beginning, you kind of had a different idea. It was gonna be kind of like a workroom situation. So tell us sort of the initial idea uh, and then a little bit about how it developed. Um, Well, you know, I have a really crazy, somewhat long story about how this all happened, but um, the crux of it is I have some major life events happen with, like, the passing of my grandpa, um, uh, being in a wedding, moving from northern Minnesota to Indianapolis, and all three of those things happened within a three-day period. So um, when I moved to Indianapolis, I had stopped teaching um, high school art, and uh, when I moved there because my partner was uh, taking a job as uh, in Indianapolis and thought, okay, either I can get a teaching job, which I super loved, um, but I had started a wholesale sewing business, and that kind of took off in a way that I didn't anticipate. So I decided, oh, I'm just going to ride this wave of awesome. Like, I'm going to keep making these sewing things, and I rented the store um, space that, I, that Crimson Tate currently occupies uh, about four days after we moved to Indianapolis. So within a week's period, <laughs> like all of those things happened. And um, the 
newspaper called me and said, and you can stop me if it's like, wait, what? I'm confused. But um, the newspaper called me and said, what is this space going to be? And I thought it would be a workshop space where I could go and make these sewn goods. And um, the sewn goods you were making, I know you were making headbands. And this yeah. had started back when you were teaching in yes. Minnesota. Yes. Um, and so you were making these, it was like a special kind of sewn headband? Yeah, it was very, it's very simple. We actually still make them um, and we wholesale them to gift shops like around uh, really from between Minnesota and uh, Indianapolis or Indiana so yeah so we make that and then we other little doodahs like it's never it sometimes can it has been consistent we make something called the Indiana pillow which you know oddly enough is shaped like Indiana <laughs> like as you can imagine but that really started as a Lake Superior pillow that which became a Minnesota pillow which became a Wisconsin pillow like so I've just kind of you know done the Midwest a little bit um with just some simple sewn goods and doing craft fairs so so you really were like an indie crafter totally right you kind of came out of that idea of like i'm making stuff i'm selling it to the public done and then yes. i'm gonna have this storefront and i'm gonna like make my stuff there and people can come like a showroom can kind of buy it and um see it, or? i didn't know i actually was thinking more i was i was bolstering to increase my wholesale business so i didn't necessarily want it I did not want is not the right word. I wasn't necessarily anticipating that it would be a space where we would sell things retail. To the public. So like, it was right. going to be more like a, a workroom where yes. you'd have some helpers yeah. and you would have some sewing machines totally. and of fabric or yes. rolls of fabric and you'd be making We'd more be manufacturing Manufacturing. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. That's exactly what I imagined it would, it would be. be. Okay. And then when the newspaper, the Indianapolis Star called and they said, what is this space going to be? And I had kind of him hawed about, okay, well, if I open the sales of the fabric to um, people in our community, then that would help me, actually, because then I could change out my lines more swiftly. So I wouldn't have to consume an entire bolt of fabric. I could um, let other people consume it, too. Like, I could take whatever I needed. They could, and then I get to change which is part of the success really of the Harriet headband that we were talking about is that it came in so or does come in so many different varieties but that you know it's hard to get all those things right those fabrics because you have to you have to use the fat you know what I mean right I see what you're saying this is actually um the way that a lot of well maybe not a lot but some of the successful fabric stores that are around now that are newer started like I know um, uh, I had Lindsay Prisano from Hawthorne Threads. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I had her on the show, and, and her story is not all that different, actually. She had an Etsy shop. Mm -hmm. She was ordering fabric wholesale as a manufacturer because she was making these, they're sort of like a patchwork quilted um, uh, picture frame. Mm -hmm. And so she was selling them on Etsy. They were doing pretty well. She was ordering more fabric, and then she had that leftover fabric. She wanted to get new designs. Totally. Cut up the remaining on the bolt and opened a second Etsy shop, Hawthorne Threads, to sell the other fabric. Yep. And then that did really well and became, well, what it is Yeah, today. which is an awesome, so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Awesome so that's kind of an interesting thing. You it guys is. have that in common. Yeah, yeah, and I really love Lindsay, so I like yeah. knowing that. I actually didn't know that. Like, yeah. feel, that's very cool. So, um, yeah, so that's really how Crimson Tate started. So when... In, you know, not in my mind, of course, like I rented this space that had been vacant for nine years. And so they were just doing a business story on, oh, cool, like this part of downtown Indianapolis is, you know, like um, sort of coming into or becoming more developed. And so I just kind of giggled because 
you know, it was one teeny tiny little article and I made the statement that, oh yeah, I will sell some retail fabric. Well, then when it was printed, they printed that I was opening a fabric store. So then I was like, <laughs> you got a lot of media. Right? <laughs> so then I'm like, oh my gosh, like that is not actually what I totally Oops. intended. Right. Like, I'm not sure. Like, and so then I, you know, Crimson Tate already existed, like the name Crimson Tate. Um, that was what the sewn goods were being made by Crimson Tate. Um, which is a you know fictional character, and so when it was time to open the store, I had like this major crisis. Like, oh my gosh, like I can't call it Crimson Tate because those are the sewn goods. Is this going to be a fabric store? Was there, and I was a little scattered. Um, but since I was opening, and they also printed that it was going to open on August the first, and it was like the 15th of July when I gave them that interview. So I had two weeks, and I thought. Well, and I'm someone who needs to be prepared. <laughs> so, like, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And I have to figure out how to get that done. So I opened on that August the 1st. I had, like, you know, I don't know, 25 bolts of fabric and just a song and a dance, really. So that's how so that it happened. that was the beginning. Right? That was the beginning. And I didn't realize that there was a need for this more contemporary aesthetic in my community. So, like you said, I live in downtown Indianapolis, and I thought – is this going to work? Is this in just having a fabric store in an urban setting anyway, like in a downtown area, um, isn't typical. So it's not typical. No, I know in Boston, our downtown fabric stores have all closed. Yeah. I think back in the day, that is where they were located. Absolutely. But then they all close. And when people moved out to the suburbs totally. and Joanne and all that stuff. And so, but maybe, maybe it's coming back. These smaller ones. Yeah. Are you're bringing it, <laughs> I don't to bring know. it back. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not a huge store. I mean, so it's not like a, how many square feet? It's like have? 800 square okay, feet. So it's so, a pretty small space. Yeah. It's a small store. Yeah. And so it really opened just as that manufacturing space, but also as a retail fabric store simultaneously. And then um, now, of course, the fabric side of it has outgrown the wholesale part of what we do. But we still are making things. And, you know, come holidays, like we're still making sewn goods. And we've got little a little cottage industry going of people who are sewing on things outside of the store or inside of the store. Well, so you're employing some people yeah, still doing absolutely. that line of yeah. sewn goods. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, that's one of my proudest things, to be yeah. honest with you, is but that you kept it. Well, and well, that it's a that just through sheer like creativity and, and hard work, like that that's created jobs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that was one of the scariest moments of owning the store because the first year, because I thought, okay, this building is um, it has not been occupied, and I figured for an entire year I could hustle and figure out a way to pay my rent, you know, and I could get a job at Starbucks if I needed to, like if it, this thing didn't work. And it was after the first year that I realized, okay, I have to take on like an actual full-time employee in the store for the fabric part of it. Um, and that was that was the hardest moment. Yeah. So really. who was your first in David David Barnhouse? Okay, yeah. Okay, and he's still with you. He's totally there. Yeah. Yep. And how yep. did you meet him? Um, he was actually my student. Like when I taught high back school in Minnesota. No, well, I taught in Indianapolis, moved to Minnesota, back to Indianapolis. Oh, again. I see. So he was your old old student. He's my old old student. And how old was he when he was your student? He was like fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember <laughs> like, about him when he? Oh, was your 
Oh my god, he was a very good artist, and um, he and I always wanted him to take more art classes, but he was very much into music, into choir, and so his senior year, he also took art, AP art history with me, and it was we, it was a hoot. Like he, his class was really a lot of fun. So um, no, he's very much the same. A little bit nerdy, like super creative, and just very effervescent. So so what does he manage for you in Crimson Tate now? Yeah, like so his job title is he's the right handed right hand man like that's <laughs> that's what his um business card says but he really does take care of most of that e-commerce that we do like he's in charge of um, inventory maintenance um, that's a really big part he does since designing fabric for Wyndham that sort of ties up me a little bit like in in a different direction as far as being in charge of the to everyday operations and so he'll do buying for the store and whatnot like I do like the accounting part of it and um I still am at the store most days he's sort of like your manager I yeah, yeah 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 no he totally is that. that's yes okay. he manages that's really cool he's yeah. the fan club president I think too so that's <laughs> <laughs> people often think that you're married totally to they always. just walk in and always. say yeah, your husband. Woman. No, oh, I talk your husband. to your husband right. yeah. always right yeah so we've decided like so we're like yeah you know like whatever it's cool <laughs> it's like we're not mad about that and then they also assume that we're brother and sister but then oh, right. they get kind of creeped out a little bit sometimes when I say oh yeah I was my student like no I'm married to you know what I mean like which isn't true at all like I'm not, <laughs> not rob the cradle and marry your student no that and that's happen. no right, weird okay. weird <laughs> so um, so and you know I feel like just talking to you and watching you in your incredibly mobbed booth here um, you're like such a an extroverted person I mean I don't know if you would describe yourself that way but yeah. the way that I sort of see you is like you're really bubbly personality yeah. you're a really extroverted person and I just wonder if that if you feel like that's helped with your success at yeah all. I think that that's you know that definitely plays into it but I will tell you that I like to call myself an extroverted introvert because I actually um I freak out like each time I have to do something like come here like I I don't know may or may not have been crying in the bathroom like <laughs> 20 minutes before like oh my gosh can I do you know like so any sort of like public speaking or but as soon as I'm on I'm on do you know what I mean and it yeah. doesn't and, and also I feel like that I created you know I created this space where it's my space and I love that other people are here and it becomes their space so it's a shared space and I feel very comfortable in that space. So, um, yeah, but I require to like total decompression. Mm -hmm. Like I got to power down. Right. Like, so it's not, I don't, when I go home, like I'm, let's lock it up. Do <laughs> right. you know, like I'm and not the one that's going to stay out until two in the morning. Right. Like I'm not, not that's that person. Not, no. Yeah. Not no. the party late night. I'm party not girl. the, yes. I'm not the extroverted party. -er. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the positive cheerleader. I think it's probably yeah, like a good Yeah. I think a, a lot of that's really important for creating a sense of community because, you know, right now, especially retail's changing a lot, yeah. you know, and it's not going to go back to the mm. way retail once was. Sure. And owning a brick and mortar fabric shop in 2017, it's, it's hard work. Yeah. And I think one of the things that people love about the ones that succeed and that are doing well is that sense of community and belonging. I think that's key. Yeah. And I wonder what you feel like you do at Crimson Tate to nurture that. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, everyone 
it is a, we talk about this um, all the time at Crimson Tate in the employees of Crimson Tate, like putting our most positive foot forward. And it's, it is about like helping people through their creative process and taking a real personal interest in what other people are doing. And I will say like, you know, we're not, we're not the only store to do that. Like lots of stores, I think also have that sense of community, but that's what's so beautiful about what's happening here, even at QuiltCon. Mm -hmm. Like this is all about the community and nurturing everyone's creativity and, and teaching and learning. And so as an educator, right? So I'm an, I, as a trained educator, that was always a, an important component to what I do and who I am. So Crimson Tate is always um, a place where you can learn or you can ask questions and you can bring things in. And I don't get too caught up in things like, oh, that came from Joanne. Like, no, we, you didn't buy that fabric here, so I'm not going to help you. Like, it, that's not what this is, like, at all. And I often say that, you know, I don't have a lot of business experience. I have a really awesome, like, business mentor um, but I don't have like a, you know, I have a degree in business, but what I found is that like kindness matters and putting, um, listening to other people and what they need is really important. And, you know, what we need, of course, we need to make sales because we can't have our doors open if we don't sell things. But that is not the primary focus. Like that's not the first thing that we think when you come through the door, like how much is it, are they going to spend? It is really about, oh, where are you on your journey? Where are you in your artistic process? What is it that you need in order to go deeper, go farther, or to accomplish whatever it is that you want to accomplish? And if we can help you do that, then we want to. And if by chance then also, like you are a loyal customer, that it like helps the whole wheel keep turning. So that's really, that's really the most important part. And have you felt resistance? I'm imagining Indianapolis might not be the hotbed of the modern movement. I mean, I mean, maybe it what is. What are you talking about, Abby? <laughs> but, um, are but you kidding me? I know in Boston, uh, we do have some uh, resistance to like, you know, modern quilt shops uh, and things. Yeah. And so I wonder, you know, cause you're stocking these modern fabrics, modern sure. patterns, and that's your aesthetic, and it's on purpose. It's not by yeah. accident. It's what you've chosen as what you liked. You know, yeah. that's your aesthetic. And so I'm imagining some women, and maybe men as well, kind of come in, don't really know what they're coming into, sure. and maybe say some things or have some yeah. ideas that are different from yeah. what yours might be, and, and how you kind of approach that. Well, you know, I... I think that the fabric stores in Indianapolis have, are actually pretty good about at least having a modern section, you know, so they are open. So part of that education, it does rest on the quilt store owner. So, for example, if you live in a rural area and that fabric store owner has a specific aesthetic and that's all you have access to, then that becomes your aesthetic, right? And so then that's what you know, that's what you love, and that's what you've learned, maybe. Like, yeah, of course, you have other influencers, like not just the quilt store owner, but um, if that's all you have access to, then maybe that's all you have access to. So um, I feel like that in Indianapolis, there we have awesome quilt stores, and they do have... Um, they most of them are pretty honor like a modern aesthetic so I do not actually encounter a ton of people who come to the door going what <laughs> like <laughs> what's going on in here I've never seen this like mm -hmm. I feel like that it's a little bit far-reaching at this point 
that the, that customer is rare. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I guess if I do encounter, then it's it's cool. Like, that's cool. Like, right. that's what you want to do. Like, what you want to make a quilt that maybe I can totally appreciate the artistry and the craftsmanship and, you know, even though fabrics that you've chosen to put together, it just maybe not something that I want in my home, right. you know? So, and that's cool that you want it in yours. So, right. like, it's it's a non-issue, right. and yeah. um, and I feel like um, I I don't know how I, I, this is kind of a funny question, but I feel like little old ladies would just love you. I don't know, like do you know I how mean, you feel who wouldn't, Addie? Yeah. Like babies love me, yeah, old ladies you. love me. Right. So you have that embracing quality. Yes, that sort of wherever you are. Oh and yeah, I think maybe that comes from being a teacher. It is absolutely from you. Know, I and mean, I was meant to be a teacher. Like yeah. I resisted that for a long time too, because I wanted to be an artist right I'm a fine artist I don't teach I make art which is totally dumb like that's just not and you found a way to do both yeah absolutely that's the cool part about all of this I want to take a minute now to hear a little more about our sponsor Plum Deluxe Plum Deluxe is a tea company based in the Pacific Northwest. It's run by an amazing entrepreneur named Andy Hayes, and it's a company that I can totally get behind. Everything Plum Deluxe offers is handmade. To make each of the tea blends, Andy sources individual ingredients and creates the recipes himself. The tea is organic and fair trade, and the teas are blended fresh every single week. My sister got me a three-month Plum Deluxe tea subscription for my birthday in August, and it was such a treat. Each month, a new tea arrived in the mail just for me. They were totally delicious, and I even bought my friend Leah a Plum Deluxe tea subscription for Christmas this year because I had enjoyed mine so much. Plum Deluxe is one of the few tea subscriptions out there with a caffeine-free option, which is awesome. And if you enjoy the teas that you get in your subscription, you can go to the Plum Deluxe website and order those particular ones a la carte. And club members get free shipping. So head over to Plum Deluxe and check it out. It's really good and really good tea makes every day special. Thank you so much, Plum Deluxe. And now back to my conversation with Heather. My day is filled at some point with creating something. And that doesn't necessarily mean I create a quilt a day, but like generating new ideas or coming up with new ways of working and being open to new ways of working. Like I'm always, I'm super open. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so do you still sort of see yourself as an educator, as an art educator in a way? I mean, I feel like that's all, it's almost still the same job. I mean, that yeah. was a different job. You had a very formal right. classroom and you had students who were young and you were teaching them art. They were there to learn art. Yeah. But I feel like maybe you're still an art educator. Totally. I Yes. And I only know how to approach this as an art educator. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to be a quilt store owner. Like, I have always considered 845 Massachusetts Avenue, my art room. Like, this is where you come to learn. This is where you come to dig deep. This is where I learn. Like, this is where you teach me and I teach you, which is all a part of, like, it, it just mm-hmm. is what it is. And so, 
we have just have some really awesome fabrics. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's like the art material. Yeah. It's really your art room. Yes. I think that's a neat way yeah. to think about a quilt shop. I don't know that yeah. I've heard other quilt shop owners, maybe they just have a different background from you sure. or whatever, but I think that's a neat way to think about a quilt shop. And if I think about it as a customer, Going to an art room, that's a place I want to go. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I love well, art rooms. <laughs> I, no, totally. Yeah. And I think as adults, I think as adults, we don't get that opportunity right. a lot. Like, to approach things in that way. Right. Like, to think about, oh, this is a creative space that I can walk into and, you know, gather inspiration and and what and skill and all the things that are important. So, mm-hmm. I think that makes it less intimidating, too. Like, I do know that there are some people who... You know, they have frustrations. Like they have the same problems with their sewing machine that I have with mine. Oh yeah, like your the bobbin doesn't wind properly, or you know, it jams every fourth stitch. That happens to me too. I just happen to know what to do when it happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I know what's causing it, and I think that because sewing it definitely has rules and procedures, and if you don't know the rules and procedures, then it can be really intimidating and frustrating. So having a space where it does feel like oh like this is where I can be and learn then it doesn't feel so unapproachable right but it's sort of this is where I can be and this is where I can learn but it's not I'm not going to be judged for not knowing because as you said like sewing does have rules it does and I know in eighth grade home ec you know if you if your stitches weren't perfect (laughs) you know it was you really felt like judged by it well, and you know and I think it intimidated me from sewing for yeah. a while you know well I think even beyond that like just the mechanics of sewing it's, like yeah. there's step a b c d now that doesn't mean that you can't thread your machine wrong and it won't work sometimes it will you could thread it oddly and it will still run but most of the time it will not like there's a definite path you have to take and then once you learn the path and this is exactly how I taught high school art you learn the rules and as soon as you learn the rules then you can choose to either abide by them or you can just abandon them altogether. but in order to abandon them you have to have some kind of a foundation and understanding and so even if it's just procedural and it doesn't mean that i'm looking at your work going oh there's not 10 stitches per inch or 29 stitches per inch or whatever that number is i don't i don't ever it's more of a how do I learn how to use my machine properly? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> you know? And I, I teach people locally in Boston how to use their sewing machines in a class that I teach. And I always feel like this is basically a tool. Yeah. It's like an art-making tool. And once you learn how to use it, your creativity is opened up and you Done. can do whatever you want with it. Yes, run so, paper through that thing. Do whatever you want. Sew paper to your fabric. <laughs> like, I mean, do what you want. You do you. Like, it's okay. But... You have to know how to turn the machine on. Right, right, right. right. Give you the fundamentals for sure. Um, So so you've added online shopping. Mm -hmm. We we referenced that a little bit when we were talking about David handling e-commerce. And that's fairly new, right? Did you launch it online? It was a little while ago? um, I think that within the mm, year and a half. So we've had it for at least four years we've had online so yeah so the majority of the time we've been open yeah okay so you have changed systems like we've changed point of sale oh i see so there was a grand like okay now (laughs) we've changed systems and it opened it up a little bit further because we were a little bit limited originally so now you can shop internationally at crimsontate.com and you can um 
it it what sorts so, it what, differently. What software are you using? Is it we use like so, like so. which is an industry specific right. point of sale. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so that manages both in store and online inventory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think that's one of the bigger challenges is like if somebody comes to the store and buys that last half yard, then you can't also sell it online because you don't have it anymore. Yeah, so you yeah. gotta make sure that it all yeah. syncs. Yes. Uh -huh. So it's all in real time. And would you nice. say, like, could you give a, a estimate percentage-wise of how much ends up online, how much, how many sales end up online versus in-store? Is it mostly in-store or is it, it half is mostly, half? It's mostly in-store. I would love for it to be half and half. Like, that is always my goal. Like, I set goals for us, and that would be awesome. But I do, like, you know, there's only so many... Yeah. moments in a day sure. and I in so the majority of our sales come through the door like uh -huh. people that are local or traveling through we're very close to the convention center um, in Indianapolis so you know fabric people are fabric people they're three quarters of a mile from a fabric store they're gonna get there right, right? so yeah totally mm -hmm. so we get a lot of um, outsiders mm -hmm. like Drifters, you might say. <laughs> so, so now you're designing fabric uh, for Wyndham, yes. and I just wondered if you could first just tell us the story of how you met. You met Mickey, yeah, right? And yeah. Mickey's been a guest on this show. People <laughs> can go back and listen to a little more about the background about Wyndham fabrics. But how did you meet and connect with him initially? Yeah, well, so um, you know, as a Wyndham customer, I attend. I have attended. I think every quilt market since. I've opened my store um, and so just through my professional relationships like I know him I'm you know he knows of Crimson Tate because I order things from his company and um, there happened it actually was when Quilt Market was in Portland and that must be what like three or four years ago um, the way the the way I like to tell them we'll see if Mickey tells the story the same way but <laughs> I like to say is that I was waiting for the train and you know I live in Indianapolis there are no trains and I'm actually a rural follower and as like I like to push a little but I'm not gonna break it and I um was waiting for the train and he was on the train he's like hey Heather get on this train I want to ask you some questions and I'm like oh my god I'm at the box like I'm all fumbly and like I'm trying to get my ticket and he's like no 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 it's cool like just get on the train and I'm like um, yeah, no, I got to get my ticket because I'm going to like, I don't know, get arrested or something. I don't know what will happen if I get on this train and I don't have a ticket. He's like, get on the train. You know, like he's a New Yorker. He's just like, just get on the train. And so I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Like, I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to have to get bail money. I'm going to tell my mom. Um, and so then it, he's like, hey, and he asked me all these questions about owning a quilt store. And just from my perspective, um, what you know some of the things that I was thinking about and trying to achieve and um he was like so at the end of that it was a really great conversation like I felt like oh man I, that guy's cool like he's I'd like a, he's a smart guy yeah no he's totally smart and so I'm like I kind of want to be friends with him and like I thought that in my mind and then after it was all over like two weeks after market he sent me an email and I was like hey if there's ever anything that you need just you know feel free to to reach out and i was like oh um you know like he like owns wyndham fabrics like what do i need from him nothing right. like you know i don't know so um it was then by the time we got around to the fall market he was like hey i've been following your blog i've been watching what you're doing and i just wonder i know you know you have a degree in art like is that would you ever want to design fabric so i'm like uh yeah like that would be amazing so um for me that opportunity came really because of, like I said, my professional relationships and also, you know, I think that definitely my positive foot forward is always um, 
it opens doors for sure. So yeah, it yeah. does. And and do you feel like owning a fabric store and interacting with the public on a day to day basis as they look at fabric, talk about their projects, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, has informed you know informed the way that you went about designing fabric Absolutely. and in what way? Like what, how? Because yeah. I, I sometimes I know that. There are people out there, for example, who don't make quilts, but right. then they design fabric for right. quilts. Yeah, yeah. And then there are people who do make quilts, and then they design fabric for quilts. And and those people have a different perspective because they they're like, you're gonna need to cut this up into small little bits and sew back sure. together again. And so that <laughs> yeah, right. informs the way that they design <laughs> fabric. And so often, if you actually make quilts, you design better fabric for quilters because you know what quilters need. Sure. So how did owning a fabric store mm -hmm. inform designing fabric? Well, I mean, I think it's just that, like in, in employing like the basic rules of, you know, art and design, like you need, you need certain things. There's a mixture, like there's a formula that you use, right, to make something beautiful. You need contrast. You need light and dark. You need scale, big and little. Like you need bright and dull. You need background players. You need foreground players. You need people who are rock stars and people who are just, you know, yeah, like in the background. So it absolutely um being a quilter and then also being in the store and seeing what people are putting together and the surprising combinations of things that they put together. I'm, I love that. I love when someone comes in and they pull like four fabrics and I'm watching it going, I don't know, like, I don't know how you're going to find a bridge, like to make those four fabrics work. And from my own personal aesthetic, it doesn't mean that it's wrong, like it, but it challenges me. And then all of a sudden, you know, two more pieces of fabric and whoa, whoa, like you just created something that I didn't even consider. So I feel really fortunate because I get to witness and help that process along all the time. Like I get to see those surprising and energizing combinations get put together. So it's not always just the same thing, uh -huh. right? So um, definitely it has influenced and does influence what I do. And when I'm working on drawing and, and making new fabric, I definitely in the second go round and the third go round had very specific projects in my mind of what I wanted to make. So I'm in a really cool position to be able to make fabric that will support that idea like like I wanted to make that paper airplane quilt yep. so badly incredible. <laughs> I love. thank you and I'm like I need a notebook piece of paper like fabric like that's like I just need a notebook piece of paper and literally when I turned in my art for that one I just mailed with the package a piece of notebook paper and I'm like I want this can you just <laughs> Make that into it for me. Right now, right? Like, I'm like, I want this. Yeah. And so, which is such an obvious idea, but it's uh, like, hadn't been. I mean, it just seems yeah, like, yeah. It's, it wasn't there. It wasn't I mean, there. we had, we, there are definitely other sure. lines that had notebook sensibilities to it, but most of the time have things written on them. I'm like, I need a blank piece of paper. Mm -hmm. I don't want something written on it. Right. So, right. Yeah. And so, how have your customers? I mean, I think it must be pretty exciting for them, right? Oh my gosh. That they yeah. get to know you and now you are the designer. I mean, I think it's, I'm not sure how many fabric store, you're breaking all sorts of guys. I mean, I'm not sure how many fabric <laughs> store owners also design fabric from one of the major manufacturers. Yeah. I mean, I, that's an also no an interesting combination. Yeah. So how, what is the customer reaction? Oh my been? gosh, it's like QuillCon every day. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, it really, it's so lovely. Like I get really overwhelmed by it because people are so supportive like when people in that come to Crimson Tate like that shop there that have been longtime customers are so I think that 
I mean, they're very proud and I, I don't take that lightly at all. Like I'm super proud too. Like it's all really amazing and they're part of the process. So on any given day, cause I really do most of my work at Crimson Tate. I don't do a lot of the drawing there. That's a little bit harder for me to do. To be, inter to be interrupted and I don't, again, not negatively, but like to stop and go and stop and go, like what a fabric store um, environment would be, it's harder for me. So I usually do the drawing by myself, but um, once like the advanced yardage comes or I have drawings that I'm putting together and I'm whatever, they're there. And like, if you come through, you see it. Like, so the people who've come so to the store have seen it. sort of part of the process yeah. as you're working on things. Yeah. And get glimpses or totally. sort of get to see you thinking out loud. They or... get to see me crying <laughs> when I'm trying to get all the things done and I'm sewing like with the wind and oh, I'm never going to get it finished. Yeah, they're there. They're That's right there really with neat. me. Yeah. So it's a cool it really is a cool environment that it's a working studio like it really is a working, it's a working studio yeah. that's right they're yeah. working there and you're working yeah there. it's exactly yeah and are you able to teach classes because you have a pretty small space but you have room we do we can take about eight people within our space if we have a class that's larger there's a community space that's near the store that we can do like a larger so like Karen Lepage has come uh -huh. on several occasions to teach and we'll put her in the community space just a block away so we can get more people involved a little more elbow room but you know it is literally like we're we're taking down displays to make table space you know we like pack it all up so that we can get some space and then unpack it the next morning so that, mm -hmm. you know, it's back to a fabric store again. So we normally can only host classes um, in the evenings for that very reason, because we can't have classes during the day. It's just too small because right. you can't be in there shopping and have they're people almost, sitting around a table. They're like, after the shop hours. There's a, usually one hour. The from We're open until 7 o'clock um, in the evening to Tuesday through Saturday so yeah and um so that last hour of the store is usually pretty s slow anyway it's the dinner hour so it's mostly just threat emergencies that are happening <laughs> not not people coordinating king size quilts so the store's open only for an hour while classes are while classes are there yeah. okay and do you bring instructors in from around yeah the yeah we've got a really a big host of um awesome like local people who are really um doing some awesome stuff so they definitely come and teach um i teach a fair amount and we haven't but this has been the hard part because you know as the day gets more full with so many other responsibilities and deadlines and it, it's getting harder and harder to keep a, a consistent schedule so that's i'm working on that still like i'm always trying to find the balance of these are the things i love like and how do i prioritize you know between no, I really love teaching classes, but then I also know like that's also, it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot, it can be exhausting at the end of a day where, you know, my day starts fairly early and I work before I go to work and then I work at work all day and then teach a class. And so then it just becomes right. challenging. It's like you don't want to get too far away from the things that brought you into this yeah. in the first place, but then... When you do those things, it takes up a lot of time and energy. <laughs> yes, so, yes. Yeah. So it's always a push and pull. It always is. And I don't know that I have the answer. And we host classes when we can. And I'm very thankful to, like, our other, um, like, our community that comes and teaches, too. Because then it, you know, that it still gets to move forward whether I'm able to do it or not. It doesn't not. always have yeah. to be you. Yeah. Exactly. So Which it sounds cool. like 
your space is pretty small. Would you ever consider expanding or do you like having it be the way it is? Yeah, you know, I thought a couple of years ago that I wanted to make it a little bit bigger. Um, and then I started designing fabric and it, it kind of, that thought, mm, I'm glad that I didn't do it because I'm not sure that I'm ready. I'm not sure that we have, um, I don't know that we're it's ready expensive. for that. It's yeah, expensive, and once you're there, you have to it's pay your employees. More you is more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. More, is more. more is more. And so it's, yeah, it's a risk. And I don't need, and I don't ever. I at this point, I don't need it to be to have like tons more fabric and we just have to be really thoughtful and mindful about how, what we pull in and what how we curate it like and that's part of the game too right like how do you being think choosy. about that talk a little bit about how you choose because there is so much fabric yeah. on the market and there's a, a lot of awesome and fabric. a lot of yeah. it is absolutely gorgeous and there's more and more every year i feel like yeah and you can't buy all of it for no. obvious reasons so well, and how do you pick well and you can't either do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, and that's my philosophy is Correct. that I can't buy it all, but you can't buy it all either. Like, so it doesn't need, we don't need it to be that. But I also know then that limits us because, oh, you want something very specific and I think it's awesome too, but there's just not room for it. So um, the way that we approach it is, you know, we say all the time, if it does not make your heart sing, it does not live here. So like, if we don't look at a piece of fabric or, you know, a, a lot of times we try to pull in a complete collection, it doesn't always happen. But if we look at it and we think, oh my gosh, that is beautiful, that yes but oh there's like three pieces that i'm not sure that i like then no because there are, there are three more pieces out there that will make my heart sing so scrap the three and find three more you know that will fit the job so um yeah it just it's just about being choosy like and i it's, think that curation is another component of what you know why people go to their brick and mortar quilt shop yeah because there's too much to choose from i think and, sometimes that's true yeah, and yeah. i think even with i mean the curation uh, somebody just told me at the show today curation is the word for 2017 i mean what and i was yes. like you know what i think it might be because it's, yeah there's so much online there's so much everything everywhere that having somebody who really knows who has really good taste yeah who can pick for you not completely no. but narrow down the choices yeah absolutely like and i'm happy to see it all like i want like when I'm at market or there's, you know, salesmen that come and um, try to sell me fabric. Like, I don't mind looking at all of it, but I'm also okay with being like, no, like it just isn't where we are. It's not what we need. And, and I have to be realistic because I don't have an endless I don't have an endless budget. <laughs> like, there's not like an end. Yeah, it's not like there's this magic thing. You know, it's all it all works together. So um, so tell us a little bit about what's coming up, either for the store or for your lines with Wyndham yeah. or whatever new and exciting thing you might have coming down the pike we want to ah, hear. Yay! Well, it's really fun. Like, if we occupied about a third of our booth with stuff that you can't have <laughs> right here at QuiltCon um, because uh, it... In April, Literary, which is my new line of fabric, uh, ships to stores, which I'm super That's amped about. so exciting. Yay! And I, my, my niece daughter is an avid reader, and Yay! I'm going to buy for her. She's going to love it. Oh, yes. that's so good. That's so good. And so we have patterns that I'm finishing now, which have all been written, but are just need, um, you know, some graphic design and some TLC to make it look snappy. 
Um, so we've got new patterns coming out, like the bookshelf quilt, which we call oh, personal library. Love it. Yeah, it's kind of a choose your own adventure. I think, you know, people should build that over time. It should be, I loved making this quilt, but I feel like too, it would be really great to give someone, you know, after, at a milestone, you know, like at a, at a graduation or at, at a wedding, like you put all these book titles on there of, of books that are suggested that they should read, you know, like it's really, it could be very thoughtful the yeah. way this quilt is put together. So yeah. I'm excited about that. Um, I'm trying to think like what's going on at Crimson Tate. Like we're all like people again, like my community who are in the store are so excited for literary as well. So yeah. it'll that'll be a big You're thing. Have a, in like the a store. lunch party or a there's always a party. <laughs> like, <laughs> there kind of is like and so yeah, we'll have some sort of event in the store. Just like it's woohoo! Like it's finally here. Like it'll be exciting. Yeah. So um, super. Yeah. I, I want to make sure we get to your recommendations because you've got some good ones. Oh, and good. You wanted to talk about your favorite book, which is the Boxcar Children, which I just <gasps> read. I've read it to all of my kids, yes. but my six-year-old was ready, so I just read it to her. So good. And we loved it. And we've actually seen the Boxcar, which is in no. Putnam, Connecticut. Which is where I forget the name of here. You have the name of the author, Gertrude Chandler Warner. Yeah. Um, she grew up in Putnam, Connecticut, or lived in Putnam, Connecticut. And Stop the actual it. boxcar that she wrote about or was inspired by is there. Can I tell you, like, <laughs> so I had cool. like major anxiety as a kid, a conundrum, because I kind of wanted, not, didn't want a family, because I wanted to live in that boxcar. And so then I was like torn, because I'm like, that's terrible. Like, I understood. Like, I was saying, like, I don't want a mom and dad. I don't, or, you know, I don't want siblings. I want to be on my own. Just want to live in a boxcar that's terrible, but I wanted and they it. would go to the dump and find these yes. shards of, of different dishes and make things, and it was yes. very crafty. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. And I think as kids, almost everyone, I mean, I definitely pretended like to go out in the woods and make, you know, mud bowls and let them dry in the sun and all of that. Just sort of like, you know, try to survive on your own. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's very enticing. That. Yes, very enticing. It's a great book. So mm -hmm. if anyone listening hasn't read Oh boxcar my children, God. Gosh, or if you have someone small in your life, definitely you read it. You have to read it. It is a great book. Yeah. And so you also love a bunch of other things. You can pick what you wanted to talk about. But you said you love Lake Superior and yes. agate hunting. What is that? Oh, my gosh. Agates are rocks that are found. Um, well, they're found all over the world. But in particular, they occur um, there's a specific Lake Superior agate, which is just a formation of a rock that happens there. Like, it's a geological wonder. It's really beautiful. It's normally like this root beer red color, sometimes with white swirl in it. And so after a really great storm on Lake Superior, you can go down to the beach and find, like, the Lake Superior agate. And are they smooth or are they, like, rough? It depends. It Both. Like, so it depends on whether it's gotten tumbled like over, you know, hundreds of years in Lake Superior, um, whether That's it's smooth so cool. or not. Yeah. I've never been to Lake Superior. So. <laughs> it's so pretty. It's very cold, but it's, yeah. it, I love it. It's really, I like that. I like being in nature. So um, living in Duluth, Minnesota was really like awesome because yeah. it really is very, it's very natural there. So yeah, but very cold, very cold, like <laughs> doesn't get above zero degrees for like 40 days in a row wow. in the winter. So isn't nature a little hard to access when it's that cold? Well, you know, you would think, but the thing is, is that like people in Northern climates know how to embrace that weather. So you can go ice skating outside, cross country skiing, and you 
you can do those things at you know at zero degrees. You really doesn't it doesn't slow you down. You have to have the appropriate dress though. Correct. No such thing as bad weather. Right. Just inappropriate dress. Uh huh. So you have to be prepared. So things like oh I need to run to the grocery. Well you can't really just run to the, you got to go start your car for twenty minutes, which means you have to get all your gear on. <laughs> like you can't run out there in your sandals. Right. <laughs> like yeah. you have to be ready. Like mm -hmm. so you it slows you down, which I I like. Like I liked that aspect of living in northern Minnesota oh yeah and my grandma lives there too so that's always nice little Lois McDougall so yeah that's awesome. well Heather thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Welsh Naps podcast I totally enjoyed talking oh to you oh my gosh you're so delightful this is so nice and I didn't cry write it down somebody say Kate Spain told me I was gonna cry you're gonna make me cry oh, I'm glad I didn't ask didn't you happen questions. <laughs> um, awesome well you've been listening to the Welsh Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, WalshyNaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing and blogging and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. And big thanks to our episode sponsor, Plum Deluxe. Love trying new teas? Want to make every day feel special? Treat yourself to a Plum Deluxe Tea of the Month subscription. For only $10 a month, you'll receive a hand-blended, all-organic, loose-leaf tea, thoughtfully chosen for the season. Tea Club members also enjoy special benefits like free shipping and access to a supportive community. Tea also makes a fantastic gift. Visit plumdeluxe.com slash tea to join and get one month free. Center Wall She Naps newsletter in the How Did You Hear About Us box when you join and your credit will be applied after your sign up is processed. Thank you so much, Plum Deluxe. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much and I'll see you next time.